Welcome to the program, Woke Up, where we amplify the voices of those whom today's critical social justice movement and woke ideology have seduced. They realized they were being led to a place they did not want to be and woke up to tell their story. Now the host, Michael Ballantyne. Well, hello. Uh, we're real excited today for our podcast. We have an amazing guest, uh, a friend of mine, actually, been friends with for quite some time. And so welcome to the podcast. Uh, we have left today's social justice movement and wokeism, and we really want to amplify voices of people that have been through the process, have been involved with this uh, ideology that's tremendously affecting every aspect of our country, our culture, uh, family relationships, institutions. And to just uh, take a lens and look at this uh, whole movement and the effect from an objective uh, perspective. And so uh, we welcome you here to the show. Uh, this is my friend, Scott Thorngate. I, I just love his story and the tools that he gave me to understand the mindset, the thought process, uh, to have compassion, to love, to understand better and what is going on. Because I know that many of you are considering becoming a social justice warrior in today's context in the United States. And, and there's, it's wonderful to be for justice, but what is going on today? He's going to share about his process of getting into this movement and what his life was like during it. And he's got some amazing uh, insights for people and families that uh, have been affected by loved ones and relationships that have been affected and not always for the better to give hope and encouragement of what's really going on today in today's world. And so Scott, welcome to the show and very grateful and honored that you would come here and spend time with us. And so thank, thank, thank you for having me. Uh, so I want to hear about your journey and I think our guests would love to hear it. Sure. Sure. Yeah. Well, I never got into the the deep activism side of it. It definitely through my late teenage years, a total change of uh, character and subsequently how my life was going took place as I started to go grow up and look out into the world, I started to just change my beliefs in ways that led to a lot of inner conflict. And um, I turned, I often found myself turning that inner conflict out onto others. I got very depressed, nihilistic, resentful. What is nihilistic? Can you explain that? N nihilism is kind of a a philosophical uh, take on reality in a basic sense, where you just have this view, it's very cynical, but basically that nothing really matters. Um, and of course, there are no, there. Are, I don't think there are actually any 100% true nihilists who think that absolutely nothing matters, because at the end of the day, the idea that nothing matters matters very much to them. But um, it, it can be kind of born out of a like a subconscious solipsism, which is the belief that you and your experience are maybe the only thing that's real, or at least it's more real than the world around you and the people in it. A good example of that would be like kind of just kind of that impression that the world around you is a movie that's being played for you. You know, you're the one and only star and your experience is like a movie. You're watching it and it just has less reality than your interpretation of it. And that includes other people in it. They have less reality and your only mode of operation in that situation, if you still care about anything like being a good person is to assert more control, be more of a director in your own life. It's and it's often masked as some form of self-actualization. Um, but yeah, that that type of thinking 
kind of set in, you know, as soon as I was, I began to be uncertain about some of my previous beliefs, you know, a big one was, you know, had I just adopted and accepted the, the beliefs and views of my parents, for instance, and that type of doubt sets in and you run with it in a direction that you don't exactly know where the end is. Um, you just want to run and find out what's there. And so I started running, um, left my family, moved away, just tried to distance myself in whatever way possible. And I started to become isolated, resentful, limiting my friends to only those who would not challenge me on any of my beliefs and ideas, which were nihilistic. And I did start to go into, I guess, social justice warrior is, is like a, a negative term. And I can't say that I myself was a very strong activist. It more just represented itself as if anyone brought those, you know, traditional or conservative topics up, I felt like it was my duty to tear them down. Um, so a lot of personal struggle and, and, you know, looking back on it now, it's just things, I just think how many people have I, have I hurt? Um, because it, it affected my personal relationships, obviously not only with my family, but any relationship that I would have, uh, would be very destructive and I could easily disassociate from those relationships if I needed to, 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 to maintain my ideologies. So, you know, it's, it's been a long road back and, you know, I'm not completely back even, but now I'm able to look back and say, oh, well, what was really my mindset at the time? Why was I thinking that way? And so I, I've studied a lot of philosophy since then and tried to develop a deeper sense of all of that. And it's giving, it's given me, you know, not an absolutist view in any sense. I'm not on one side or the other, but it's giving me a, a tempered view of, you know, the psychology of purpose and meaning and how that influences our lives and our relationships and thereby the lives of others, the ones we care about. And in this um, mindset, which I think are so many parallels to what is going on in our society through a lot of the activist movements, uh, gender ideology and race theories and anti-colonization, and it just seems to be like uh, almost a negativity and aggression toward institutions, primary institutions of life, family, church, government, the military, law, uh, corporations, and it's seeping into all aspects of society. And one of the things in our, our conversations that I've noticed is that sometimes people are really mean that are in this ide ideology. They're, 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 it's almost like their identity is into tearing somebody down and humiliating them or shaming them or canceling them. And uh, why don't you talk a little bit about what goes in the mind of somebody who has adopted this uh, nihilistic or uh, tear down the system mindset? Like, how does it make you feel when you're doing this and hurting somebody so profoundly? Hmm. It's, a, it's fundamentally a, a mistrust or distrust. And that comes out of a, a fear of being basically kicked off of the throne of your ability to control your life and, and be a good person. You start to view these things as obstacles to your personal virtue. Anything that can assert authority over you basically is to be not trusted. Um, and sometimes that's fine. You know, sometimes that's true. But in a lot of ways, it's just the overreaction to that. All of it should be not trusted is the overreaction. Anything, you know, any source of uh, power or authority, like I said, is is going to be inherently corrupted. And, and you as the one who's going to change it for the better, because you want to be the pro protagonist in your own story, obviously, you're going to feel like it's your, you're obligated to fight against it, to tear it down. And just the, the, yeah, the constant just tearing of those structures, those hierarchies, 
of power and authority down is the best way to be a good person, basically. And when you do that and you're tearing down what you look at uh, as a system of oppression or something that's flawed and you're causing pain, what happens internally? Are you are you feeling positive about what you're doing, irrespective of what other people are going through and the, the yeah. relational destruction that you're causing of people that once were friends or siblings or parents or teachers or, I mean. You relate it to the concept of justice very strongly. Mm. So even if you are hurting someone, you're doing so because it's the right thing to do because they represent or they're caught up in or they represent in some way the system which oppresses this or that group or and a very powerful one I find is that of the authority of the parents over the children. Um, and then they, we can kind of tend to multiply that out into other areas of, of social and political life. And, you know, you start to just feel that just like in the justice system, you know, there's always a, a winner and a loser in a sense when justice is done. One person gets, you know, amelioration from some type of victimhood, they get compensated and another side gets penalized, um, which you know, hurts in some sense. And so when you're carrying out justice, it's really not a bad thing that someone is hurt by it. It's actually a good thing because that is how you met out that justice and correct the system in some sense, which is totally valid on its own grounds, you know, in terms of the concept of justice. But the over-application of that into all instances of your personal life um, can become kind of like a justice drug. You know, you're, you're, you're hooked on that feeling of metting out justice because, mm-hmm. because your view is how you look at the world is is right and in order to be a good person you would obviously uh need to pursue that well that's fascinating now i'd like to talk a little bit i'd like to go back a little further to your childhood are your biological parents were they married during your childhood yes yes. and are they still married uh they're not they're not and how old were you when they separated or got divorced um they waited till actually i left for college okay yeah and uh during this process, would you describe like your childhood as healthy or was it a lot of dysfunction or I just, I know it's personal. So no, a, yeah, a, 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 Main, mainly healthy. You know, I didn't have an especially difficult childhood, so I can't, you know, blame anything on that. This was totally something that um, I think just developed, you know, in response to what I was seeing outside in the world. And it just accumulated that when I eventually left the family environment and tried to go out and make my own way that I was just already primed to accept all of it. So yeah, I mean, like, it's not necessarily from any specific type of trauma or anything that this can develop, although it certainly could be. Yes. Um, It's just a it's a thing that's out there in the world that it's trying to encode into society these new ways thinking about what is the correct concept of purpose and meaning and the old ways are are suspect the old ways that people would find purpose and meaning are the bottom line like contributor and instigator of any form of social injustice so and the new ways the new ways are totally in line with fostering this nihilistic viewpoint and i was in that state of mind so i went into it very quickly, very hard and deeply. And that shift in my thinking just obliterated any relationships that I was in. Just I viewed them so differently than how I should, where even in my own personal life, you know, I was more real than the other person. And I only could tolerate people in my life who were not going to 
challenge me on that. And anytime there was someone in my life who would challenge me on that, then it was, I was supposed to narrow in on them as if they were a, a simply a target wow. and just tear them down because that is, that is how I, that is how I started to feel like I could be a good person, which is this narrative to cause chaos in order to change the system as if chaos is the only way to make a difference. So this would include people that at one time in your life you were close to whether they be friends or do, you, or do you have siblings or i do i have a brother and, and possibly uh people close to you uh, friends or teachers or people in groups or clubs or your mom and dad or grandparents uh, like anybody that was once really close and loving to you did you feel this uh this need to tear at and hurt oh yeah i mean my parents definitely my mom probably got the brunt of it and it was because my dad didn't really talk to me about these things. He never was very like prescriptive in terms of giving me guidance in my life, which, you know, I'd take, you know, as a positive and negative in some respects. My mom was always very prescriptive and always wanting to talk to me about what I was thinking, how I was evaluating what was important in my life. And, you know, she comes from a very, you know, religious family. Uh, traditional upbringing. It's a very important part of her life. And she loves me very much. And unfortunately, I disregarded the love part because all I could see was that she was a part of the problem. And so I, I definitely, obviously very much regret the way that I treated her while I was in that state of mind. Because again, she was the only, she was the strongest source in my life for that feeling of metting out justice and the way that I could do that more and to feel like more of a good person was to actually care about her less in order for me to psychologically get away with it in some sense. You, you must have devastated her. Oh, yeah. Wow, that's pretty impactful. And I, and I see this going on a lot in terms of these thoughts and ideas I think are birthed in the philosophical realm. They're birthed in universities promulgated in universities. And it seems like when this worldview, this ideology of awakening uh, or wokeism to the issues of there are problems in the world, there is suffering in the world, and there is inequality in terms of outcome and, and in some ways probably opportunity too, that we want to make it right. And so when you buy into this and you give your mind and your energy and your meditation to making things right, that's a, that's a noble cause in, in, in many ways, you know, it's uh, but it seems like this is a different animal than simply wanting to make things right. It's like, like a destructive element that is causing a lot of pain in relationships and institutions. And, and it's almost like a virus that in some ways it takes over the mind that everything gets subjugated this cause, whatever it might be. And whether it's family relationships, sibling relationships, friendships, your faith in God your higher power all gets second fiddle to this ideology. Would you kind of agree with that or just yeah. something I've seen to be picking up on? Yeah. I mean, it's very pervasive, you know, uh, when you think about, and, and a lot of this is running subconsciously, I think in most people's minds when they think about these deep, I mean, I, I'm suggesting that I certainly, and I don't see that a lot of people who are also in that mind state, we're, we're thinking very deeply about those types of things. It's very much uh path of least resistance and you know the world's going to provide that path of least resistance towards towards like the feel goods essentially um and the path of least resistance is not always what's best it could it could develop a false sense which i think is very true in this case so yeah i don't think it's being i think it's operating subconsciously on a lot of ways 
but and that means from the perspective of someone else you know who who maybe cares about the individual who's in that situation it's very hard to suggest that there's there's something that they could possibly say or do or or present to them that can get that can really get through to them because ultimately they have unexamined uh deeper sets of beliefs that are that are going on and a lot of times it's it's this kind of the same thing if you think about like a like a therapist and a client in the relationship there oftentimes the therapist would be a bad therapist ultimately to just push them on the things that they themselves have not yet examined. A lot of times it's just about helping them through each new situation and then that can if they are successful in helping them with that, then the hope is that that person can get to a place first where they could actually then self-examine. Yes. Instead of be clouded by the normal ongoings and events of, of life. So in the same way, I would say that it's hard to suggest that if from a parent you know, wanting, who wants to talk to their child, they care about them and they see their life is maybe not going so great and they don't seem to be happy or as happy as they remember them and it seems to be getting worse. Um, there's not really much you can say to directly address that, unfortunately. I think that's so your case. mom, for example, really couldn't have the magic words to say how much he loves you and believes in you or, oh, you got to change your mind, son. There was like nothing she could have done in that moment to, to really change, well, your, change your attitude. I will, I will say that she did do probably the one most important thing, mm. which was still always love and support me and be there for me. Mm. And I, I think at root, that's really just the, the one overriding thing you can do. And I get that that sucks. I get that a lot of people are probably looking for more of a suggestion than that. They want to know, you know, some people want like, oh, if I could just formulate this bulletproof argument as to why they shouldn't think that way, then they'll be enlightened. And I've just got to get in there and I just got to like yeah. press them. A lot of times that can have the opposite effect that's intended. Because again, that individual is oftentimes seeing the parent as the main object in their life that represents what they should be fighting against. So if you come to them, you know, their response is just going to be to tear you down and build resentment and the relationship will just get worse. And a lot of parents might even get discouraged and get to a point where they say, oh, heck with it, you know. So but there's also needs to be the recognition, I think, that a lot of these kids, teenagers, uh, young adults, people in their 20s, that they even though you or the parents or people that care about those individuals, they might see it as there's some sort of evil in their hearts. And, you know, fundamentally, I do believe that these deep philosophical beliefs are evil in a very real sense. The person that has those things running subconsciously in them is still pursuing the good that everyone's pursuing. You know, they want to be, they want the narrative of their lives. They're the hero. They're the one to really help people to be the best version of themselves. And I think that's something that needs to be spoken to in terms of when you try to communicate, always make sure that you're validating mm. that. Yeah, John McWhorter wrote a book on uh, racism and uh, it was, I don't remember the name, it was Race Religion. I read the book and uh, he really emphasizes the point that a lot of the social justice warriors that are most active and the most vocal, he assign, ascribes the word the elect. They look at themselves as they're the elect. They're the chosen one to fight racism. And you see the same philosophy being played out with the new queer uh, LGBTQ with emphasis on queer movement that we are going to help the marginalized. It's like, I'm the one that's called to do this. And there's almost like a, an ideology that, you know, if I don't do it, nobody will, but I'm going to be the ally. 
this allyship, whether it's the, the black community, whether it's the queer community, whether it's, uh, you know, really radical feminists, because I'm in some ways I understand feminism and I have a family with very strong women. And uh, but sometimes it's just so over the top of tearing down everything to do with masculinity and a, a young boy where he's, a, you know, afraid to have a sexual impulse because of, you know, the Me Too movement and it, it manifests itself in society in ways that are too over the top, as, as you're, as you're uh, right. suggesting. And so the one thing that you said your mom did is she always communicated that she loved you and was for you, and but you didn't want to hear anything from her because she was the, the systemic problem. And I know for a fact all over America this is happening where adult children are estranged from their parents and parents are being broken, families are being torn apart. Uh, I I know this from many people. I've been involved with groups. I've been, uh, and it's a big phenomenon and so how many years uh, were you in this space mentally, nihilism, as you describe it? I would say it probably started to develop um, through high school. Mm-hmm. And it just came from you know, what, I, what I think is a somewhat natural process of starting to doubt maybe the religion with which you were raised, the cultural norms in which you experienced in your hometown. And as soon as you get out there, see that there are these other options that... I mean, at least for me personally, it was kind of the sense that I started to ask myself, had I been unjustly shielded from these other possibilities? So maybe I should, you know, look into them. And that came with the, the concordant doubt of the beliefs that I had up to that time, whether they were just pushed on me and I didn't have any other option. So then I started to you know, look out and search and see the different aspects. And and how, how long overall was this pro, uh, to the place where you said, I want to get out of this and go in a more sustainable, oh, healthy way? How many years? So from, from that point, well, I, I just want to say from oh, that point on, it was like uh, my life got progressively worse. Mm. And it was just eventually that it got so bad that I felt I needed to examine, well, was this whole mode of thinking, <laughs> of doubting everything, and constantly trying to find, you know, new things to hold on to in terms of belief, whether that itself was the problem. And so this probably didn't really occur to me until, you know, my whole life was uh, basically in shambles. You know, I wasn't able to, I was getting into relationships that were shorter and shorter and, you know, less personal. And I was losing friends left and right just because I literally had no motivation to keep up with them. And there was even a point where I went through like three jobs in the course of a year. So like then I started to not even be able to hold a job. Uh, just my whole life was just a wreck and it was just confusion and darkness. And wow. and you know, I was getting depressive and manic and I would, I had like insomnia. I would just, I would just feel each day I would get to the end of the day and be like, I didn't really do anything. And so I would, I would stay up late at night getting something totally, totally pointless done just so I could feel that little surge of accomplishment enough that I could even sleep. So yeah, a couple of years of that. And I was, I was, you know, forced into a position to try to take a step back did and have, really examine. Did you have suicidal ideations at all or? Um, not necessarily. It was more, I'd say it was more just a, I was divorced from any source of, of meaning. I still wanted to find out what the meaning was. So that still mm. fueled my will to live in some sense. I still wanted to figure out what it was. What was I missing? But I was just so discouraged that going through everything that I was trying was just not working out. 
So I did end up, you know, studying philosophy and taking classes and doing a lot of research myself and getting into those deep introspective issues like like the subconscious realities of having, you know, nihilistic tendencies and solipsism and things like that, um, really examining those things. And, you know, you get to a place where if you run in place for long enough, you start to, you know, eat away at the ground. And you start to go lower and lower into this hole. And the faster you run and not get anywhere, then the deeper the hole gets until you can't even see the world around you. You're totally under the ground. And then the only place you can look is up. That's basically how it had to happen. And I started doing you know meditation i did actually did some silent retreats just me out in the wilderness you know not speaking and just survival camping basically and through you know meditation and then eventually prayer started to just build a different view of myself a view that was more you know i'm part of all of this and everything that i do does matter and i mean everything even the smallest interaction with my mother matters very deeply um so yeah it was just a movement away from thinking about you know only like thinking about what i need to do in order to feel like a good person very just closed off type of you know reverberating type of mental state because you're not bouncing it off anything that's out there separate from you and that's really what we need we need to know that the other person is valuable as an other not valuable because of how much they are a reflection of you. Those are the, the just the deep philosophical things, but but we can talk more about. Uh, yeah, but I, I find how that, someone would respond to that. I, I find that fascinating because I don't know this side of you. I've known you. Uh, we were in a in a group together at, a, at our local church, and I found you to be incredibly engaging uh, with a group of twenty people, articulate, uh, kind to everybody. There's a massive cross section of uh, different economic status and age groups, and I found that you flowed with everybody. and 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 I know that you're going to be a father coming up and you found yes. love and fulfillment in, in, a, in a beautiful, intimate relationship. And you're going to have a daughter in February. Yep, so congratulations. February. And Thank so you. I can't imagine you in the, that context that you're describing in that space of uh, depression and bondage, mental bondage to your own mm. that you created. <laughs> yeah. uh, and I'm not completely out of it. You know, I'll, <laughs> I'll be the first to admit that I struggle with it every day. Um, I've only maybe been on this path i would say for the last i guess maybe four years so you're 33 now if i remember right 33 right. so there's a good decade of, of darkness and so mm -hmm. one of the things that because i know a lot of people listening are going to be parents looking for hope or brothers that have are estranged with their sibling or uh, friends that have been broken friendships and so you say that there is nothing anyone could really say intellectually oh if i have this magic formula uh, i'm going to reach scott and he's going to hear me and everything will be fine and we'll work it out and you're like no that's not what's going to likely happen because they view you as the part of the problem and your mindset is the problem and you're the one that's there being the problem in their life like yeah. You're the main point of contact for that type of interaction. But you said that your mom was always there and she always communicated her love for you. And that was important. And so how do uh, parents or loved ones that are like victims of losing a loved one to this ideology and then it becomes so contentious and so destructive and so accusatory and, you know, the pain associated with that. What is the best approach for a parent that's just looking for solutions because they love their child and they aren't as connected or a brother-sister relationship that's just not there anymore. Uh, what do you do? Like, how do you, like, what's the posture? How do you communicate love, but also have certain levels of boundaries uh, mm -hmm. to minimize abuse, which is destructive? Uh, what, do you have any advice on that? 
Yeah. I mean, I would say, first of all, like you don't have to change what you believe in or, you know, in order to reach them. Um, sometimes you can. Sometimes it's a great thing to have maybe a belief that, that is maybe too strong, kind of mitigated by someone else's take on it. And that's a great conversation to have. But ultimately, if you care about someone like this and you see their life is getting worse and you are looking for some way to help them and change them, I would strongly suggest that you not push them on the details of, of what they're thinking and what their beliefs are. I think I think oftentimes we can kind of get caught up in wanting to argue our side of things. And like you said, if we mm. can just get through to them with some silver bullet argument that, you know, it will reach them and they'll come to see the light or a um, memory of the relationship we once shared. Of course, you're going to want to, re, you know, you can't engage on that level at this point if somebody's in that space. Right. Um, and there needs to be because ultimately, I think when it comes to questions of purpose and meaning, we're all scared. We're all scared about what that means. It's uh, and so there needs to be some validation, you know. And it's like it's a hard mm. thing to pursue that through someone who is constantly against you in very many ways. But just to pursue like reiterating, you know, hey, I, I know that you're trying to be, you know, the best person you can possibly be, and I know you're going to figure it out, you know, to just maintain that for them, um, because they may not ultimately figure it out in a sense until their life comes crashing down around them and you know god help them if they don't have if they don't feel like they have a place they can run back to at that point so that's what i would suggest is like it's hard it's a hard thing to do you know you want you want solutions here and now but it's that level of personal sacrifice like you know admitting to yourself like maybe i don't have to feel like my loved one is a reflection on me and have that motivate my want to change them or make their life better. Sometimes you can just love them for, for them. Yeah. And that'd be the best, I would say. And, and I think too, like in a sibling relationship, to not take on too much guilt and accusations or a parent-child relationship, to take on a certain level of whatever might be that you're guilty of, but you can't fix somebody. Mm -hmm. And I love what you're saying about just being there and being present, but don't take it on personally and be able to compartmentalize. This is a, a mental space that my loved one is going through. And even though they're in a really destructive place and they've hurt me deeply, I'm not going to respond in kind. I'm going to, I'm just going to have boundaries to a certain level, but to affirm the value in them as a person primar uh, primarily. And then also the social justice thing that they're looking for to, to help the marginalized or help their interpretation of those that are victimized by oppression. And that's noble. That's a beautiful thing. So affirm that, even though you don't believe in the methodology, but don't get totally tied into it where your whole identity is tied up, whether or not you can restore the relationship because you can't, right. you know, and just love them and be there and let them know that you're always present, you know, uh, and then at the right time with the ups and downs of life, they know that they have a friend or a loved one that they can count on. I exactly. Think, yeah. I think that's, it's a lot of wisdom to that because otherwise you just drive yourself nuts. Oh, the magic bullet. Or, right. you know, I've talked to many parents who are like, I just don't understand my child. Now they're so mean to me. I just can't believe Do they even remember their childhood. I, the things that they're saying, uh, a few couples in particular are just, they've lost their 25 year old daughter and mm -hmm. the daughter is just so cruel. It's like, what happened? You know, and, and so they're dealing with an ideology, as you're saying, on a subconscious level that uh, is destructive ultimately, if not 
tempered and and not respecting the other, as you're saying, and loving the other, because every human being deserves value and dignity, even even the oppress the oppressors. You know, right. they not everything about oppressor is totally bad. They might have some virtue. Like even my mind comes to, you know, and I, I want to be careful the way I phrase this. I'm not. I'm saying everybody has dignity. Everybody has value. Everybody is made in the image of God. And so even the Nazis that were exterminating Jews, there was one virtue they had, and that was loyalty, you know, and that's a virtue. Now it was totally misplaced. It was totally demonic. It was horrible, but maybe work with somebody where they're at. I notice that you're, that you're a loyal person and then just be there for them. And just, just cause they cancel, you don't cancel them, love them. And but you have to have boundaries. It takes a lot of wisdom and there's so much pain involved with it and, and tearing down. It's, it's a tough needle to thread, I think. Right. Humility, humility, and, and knowing that, you know, you don't have it all figured out either. Yeah. And pursuing vulnerability so deeply that you can let go of even your own want to make it make sense to you. Because you can't figure it out because it's in the brain of somebody else. Right. And you don't have that authority. You don't have that ability. Right. You only have the access that you're allowed or that you're freely given by by the other. Mm, yes. So is there anything else you'd like to share with the audience? Maybe people that are in this social justice warrior movement that are really strong? Because when you look at it, like statistically, there's... Uh, it seems like there's so much sociological pressure to conform to a certain script, but the real vocalists, the real strong ones might be 10% of the population, but they have the loudest platform and others are just kind of going along. They want to connect. They don't want to be canceled themselves. And and so young people that are considering this or young people that are in it, you know, as you say, you can't talk them out of it. Maybe just some things that, for them to think about that they can hear from their, uh, from you that they might think about over time and mull over in a year or two years from now, knowing that there's no magic bullets immediately from mm. this podcast, uh, but that maybe you can plant a seed where somebody can maybe just look at things from a different perspective that are locked up in this uh, revolutionary state, so to speak. Mm. Yeah, the, the revolutionary state, the the idea that... Uh all of these systems of authority are, are, you know, are to be on the chopping block if we're going to make any progress towards, you know, equality, equity, that cycle of destruction, you know, the idea is kind of let's speed that up. You know, the faster we can get rid of those things, the better. I would say if, if chaos is your goal, and, and again, you know, someone thinking like that would probably have a problem with my characterization of that as chaos. But if that's your goal, constantly changing and tearing down existing modes of belief or patterns of you know patterns that echo out from these hierarchies of authority that are damaging then how could that not replicate itself in your own personal life how could that not affect your relationships and because you know you can you can scale the way that you deal with the broader social and political ideas you can scale that also down to how you think about family and relationships and it becomes really hard to thread the needle between wanting order personal responsibility self-sacrifice on one side of the spectrum and the complete opposite of that on the other side of the spectrum that's a hard line to walk and it's just it's going to cause confusion i was i was certainly trying to thread that needle and doing a very poor job of it um so yeah so that's the, the one thing I would what, say. what comes out of it on the back end okay you tear down the system you tear down the relationship you tear down the institution okay then it's replaced with what that's broken maybe irreparable so then 
just humanity, something will emerge. Is there any thought of like, what are we going to replace this with? Okay. It's one thing to say, I'm against this. I'm against this. I hate this. I hate this. This has got to go. This has got to go. Okay. What comes out of that? You know, like, do we get to a utopia or is it just pain and brokenness and destruction, you know? And yeah, it's, um, it's discontinuity ultimately kind of a, a synonym for, for chaos, but discontinuity in the sense that we should just constantly be changing things out for whatever the next better thing is you know the new iteration of of better justice or more equality or more of this and you can play that game forever and then you get that but that still won't be sufficient because it'll be transformed into something new whatever one comes in is is you know instantly going to build itself into the next example of of authority and what needs to be torn down again authority and hierarchies in any sense. So it's just that constant replacement. And I know there are some who think that that perpetual state of change is the best state of affairs, but it's the discontinuity. It's you're totally, how can you have a sense of meaning and purpose? If what kind of meaning and purpose is it to assert that there is none? It's a very problematic line of reasoning to say that if we this is kind of like the moral relativism argument. Let's say like uh, if someone says there is no absolute truth, well, does that stand on its own terms? Because is even what you just said just there, that there is no absolute truth. Is that an absolute is truth? Is that an absolute truth? Exactly. So it just instantly eats itself on, on like a logical uh, analysis. And again, I just think there's a lot of people out there that haven't looked down deeply enough into seeing where the fundamental contradictions lie. They kind of just take it on the surface of how it represents itself. Within their own ideology, their own sure. subconscious. Yep. And it's val- it's validated. You know, you can kind of get a good feeling like you're doing something purposeful and meaningful, but there's no continuity. You just have to keep at it because the underlying meaning is transient. So you have to keep up with that transience, which in a lot of ways makes it kind of like how our bodies respond to drugs. So we have to keep up with it. We always have to be looking for that next source of of high, you know, the high of feeling like a good person. So your body and soul and mind never get into homeostasis where we've arrived. It's always the next thing. One of the things I just talked to you that really impacted me when we're having some dialogue is because I just was like, why are people so mean? Like you're a racist, you know, cancel you. And, and what is it in the subconscious of this aggressive social justice movement? That's instead of like reasoning with somebody, Hey, you know, you're hurting somebody's feelings when you say it like this, can you like reconsider because you know, the effect of your words have power. You might've hurt somebody's feelings and win somebody over to, to, in a nuanced way to influence them to be more mindful of what is a racist comment or things like that. But instead there's been a posture of brutal attack just, you know, and I don't know how helpful that is in the long term. but you had said something about, yeah, but it feels so good to tear someone down in the moment. There's something in our, in our id. Can you talk about there's something going on, whether it's uh, the support from the group, the group think, or what satisfaction do you get just destroying another human being and burying them, you know, because they have a different ideology or they say a stupid comment. It's related to that, uh, that concept of what you really feel you're doing is metting out justice. So it doesn't matter so much if you, if you are hurting them because it's just, it's just to make them feel bad and ashamed and things like that. It's really narcissistic in the sense it makes you the highest authority of what justice really is versus justice being outside of one's own mind and our own thoughts that there is a creator that is ultimately governs the affairs of men uh but it almost makes you god in a way that you know and and i'm the arbiter of all truth and i'm the one that's going to 
you know, make that which is wrong right, you know. And, yeah. and if you, I mean, I, I would say that they're they're speaking maybe under the the notion that they're supporting that that higher good right but, but a, a real concept of justice if there's a real concept of justice to be had it has to include everybody um as soon as you start suggesting that certain people should be excluded from the concept of justice because justice is it should be contextual mm -hmm. it should be it should be a agglomeration of everybody to you know consign and conform themselves to this mutual respect type of state where everyone is really an individual and everyone has an equal ability to contribute to what is true and good um, instead of one person having more or less ability to be considered in that respect based on where you think they fall on you know a social hierarchy of maybe oppressor or oppressed or or any other type of thing like that so if you're meting out justice it's basically a way to get that good feeling you don't want to allow the other person their equal representation. So I'm sorry, what was the original question? Well, just the, the aspect of justice, you know, and makes you the oh, highest authority, oh, the arbiter of all truth yes. and the, the narcissism. You're saying why it makes you feel good. Yeah, why, that, that was, a, yes. yes, yes. That, that, well, um, why does it make you feel good? Well, it makes you feel good because <laughs> uh, you get to feel morally and intellectually superior, which is not it's certainly not just a problem with, you know, people on the left or any one group in particular yeah. this is a problem we all struggle with. It's very tempting to want to feel morally and intellectually superior, especially because we've kind of blurred the lines of like economic superiority, mm. which was, uh, you know, traditionally, if you were, you know, your higher status was based on your wealth. Um, and we've kind of, you know, shut that down for, you know, um, I would say both good reasons uh, and bad reasons you know there are good consequences to that and bad consequences to that one of the bad consequences to that is that we still want validation and so we're going to shift it somewhere else and where we've shifted it um with the access to technology and social media and everything's at everyone's fingertips the arms race is really on for intellectual superiority because uh, anyone can can participate you know on, on a more or less equal platform at least in first world country like the United States. So it's now the competition where once, you know, how we approached business dealings, now we're starting to port that into our personal dealings with just personal relationships. And I just, I think that's a very denigrating basis for personal relationships. I mean, and that it just comes up a lot. Um, it's a and an aspect of being able to control the other person in some sense. Um, it seems like there's an element of, uh, as you're talking about, it was originally economic and the Marxist theory of the bourgeois and the proletariat, the class struggle uh, has pivoted and shifted into some would say cultural Marxism of the oppressor and oppressed, the same bourgeois proletariat of those that are uh, white versus black or heterosexual versus queer or male and female and mm -hmm. we're, we're putting everybody into this dialectic group and class struggle and cultural struggle and it seems like you know the intellectuals and those that aren't you know those yeah. so it, it is i think that goes along with what you're saying in terms of the pivot uh versus just the economic aspects yeah uh, it's now filtered into all levels of society. Right. And, and so, if, if you're intellectually superior, then you would naturally feel that you have more of an ability to speak yeah. for everybody. Well, and I'm not saying I'm immune to that, you know, 
Well, Scott, I, I'm I, sitting here trying to speak for everybody, but <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you, you can't. <laughs> right. But the, but you, you you provided tremendous insights, and uh, it's been a great educational opportunity for me and our listeners as well. And I hope everybody benefits. Really appreciate your vulnerability and the depth of your personal sharing and your journey and your testimony. And, uh, you gave us all a lot to think about. I really. I uh, really appreciate that. And I want to congratulate you on uh, finding your life partner and a new baby. And your, your world is going to open up in ways you can't even begin to imagine. And, you know, I, I think I'm quite confident there might be somebody here that would like to get a hold of you. And so I'd like to give you uh, the final word of any last things to summarize or a word of encouragement for our audience but then possibly how somebody might want to reach out to talk to you in the future. Hmm. Well, I'm, I'm not very present on social media. I've kind of completely gotten rid of that. I, I will accept, you know, email. Email is uh, csthorngate at gmail.com. csthorngate, just like it sounds, one all together, yeah. dot com. csthorngate.com. At gmail.com. At gmail.com, right. right. And yeah, I'd, I'd love to, you know, start doing things, you know, once I get my footing with, you know, establishing my, my home life and putting this, this family that uh, me and my partner are trying to create together. Well, it's coming. It's coming, whether <laughs> I want it or not. <laughs> but so once I get a wrap on all of that, then I'd love to start branching out into these areas and um, using the, the the gifts I feel I have to to talk about. I mean, not I'm not a very political person, but I just love the I just love the philosophical and the the psychological aspect all of this um how we can all come together and and really you know figure all of this out together yeah it's beautiful and you've gone from being alone and progressively isolated mm-hmm. to now awakened in a in, in, in the truest sense where humanity is valuable and life does have meaning and you want to branch out and the things that you've been through, the things that you've thought about, to share those with others and embrace others. And uh, I love that. I love that attitude that you have. And may God bless you in, in your future and prosper you. And may, may peace rest in your heart. God bless you as well. Okay. Thank you. Thank, thanks again.